Today we have a special podcast uh, from Christian Education for two weeks, and we combined two weeks worth of classes into one, and this was uh, very appropriate seasonally. We're talking about Christianity and Halloween. The uh, show notes will have the link to the essays that I refer to. Um, this is a good one. We had a lot of fun, and uh, please enjoy. Let's uh, go ahead and get started then. Um, so this is going to be just a real quick two-week series. I, I hope it'll go full two weeks. Otherwise, I don't know what we're doing next week. Um, and and I, didn't, I didn't finish all the content. So it's going two weeks. <laughs> um, I wanted to uh, do, do a quick little deal on, on Christianity and Halloween. There's a lot of mythology out there. There's a lot of bad um, thinking uh, from, you know, both from the world and in the church and, uh, wanted to dispel some common myths. So before we get into, um, some of this here, uh, what are, what are some of the stuff y'all have heard, um, in terms of, uh, uh, the way Christians and, uh, and, and, and Halloween kind of works together? Okay, so the whole it's yeah it's it's a, it's a it's a satanic holiday, and if you celebrate it, you're 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 covertly worshiping the devil. Okay, that's definitely been one that's flo- that's floated around a lot. Um, what what else? Anything else? Or are we all from kind of that kind of background around here? <laughs> yeah, well, actually, I wasn't from that background. I just thought it was a holiday when I was growing up. But uh, I know that one half of our family thought it was satanic, but we didn't understand. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So that's, that's and that's kind of a general way that, uh, that that you that that most most folks, frankly, normal folks, look at things. So, um, okay. Well, then let's look. Let's uh, let's get into this. Um, so uh, this everything I'm going to say say in the next couple of weeks, um, I owe a lot to Stephen Wedgworth. Um, who uh, wrote a couple of really amazing essays on the topic for um, for the Calvin the Calvinist International? But Wedgworth is also um, one of the directors of the Davenant Institute. Um, that's kind of my very wordy content credit uh, slide. So I'll just go ahead and read it for the record. Uh, the following presentation is based on the essays, What Should Christians Think About Halloween? And Halloween, It's Creation and Recreation by Stephen Wedgworth. Stephen Wedgworth is the associate pastor, faith Presbyterian in Vancouver, British Columbia. He writes about theology, history, and political theory and has taught junior high and high school. He's the founder and general editor of the Calvinist International, an online journal of Christian humanism and political theology, and a director of the Davenant Institute. And a couple of words about the Davenant Institute. I love those guys. Um, They're kind of across um, the swath of confessional Protestantism, and they just do really, really good research. Um, They're they're kind of bringing um, some heavy-duty thought down to a lay level uh, and so 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 i would I would recommend if you uh enjoy some um, 
you join theology, history, and that sort of thing, uh, follow those guys. They, they have some really good things, including some good Anglican resources, especially they're doing a modernization project of Richard Hooker's Laws of Ecclesiastical Polity. And in the early days of the English Reformation, that's probably our most important book that comes from that tradition. It's as important as Calvin's Institutes um, are to, to, to the Calvinist world. And the reason why it's not as well known is because it's really hard English. And so, <laughs> um, you know, everybody knows Calvin because you can just translate that from, uh, from French into, uh, into, I think he wrote it in French, um, into, um, into English. And so you can modernize it all you want. Well, they're doing a modernization project of Hooker's Laws, which has been just amazing. I have the first several volumes and they're publishing another one really soon here. Okay, so let's talk about the two primary myths that we're going we're gonna to address tonight. First of all, we have this, this myth, like Delaney brought out, that this is either lingering or revived paganism and or even Satanism. So Halloween's nothing but paganism and Satanism that, that um, ha- wasn't ever fully stamped out or it's been brought back. So that's one, that's one myth. The other myth is that, no, this has nothing to do with paganism, and it's actually the church's intentional effort at mocking a defeated paganism, Um, you know, that that kind of thing. And what we'll find out is that's actually not really true either. Um, That's, yeah, neither one of those are really true. So let's talk about that first myth. Uh, a, that was the one that most of y'all are more familiar with. And, uh, and, and B, it's the first one I wanted to address. So there we go. Um, myth one, that this is a pagan holy day. Well, typically, and this is something you will find not just among the um, uh, more, uh, for lack of a better term, fundamentalist end of the Christian world, but also this is something you find touted out in kind of popular level um, secular stuff like, like, you know, the Huffington Post or Slate or one of those will usually just assume this to be true. And this is the idea that, well, uh, Halloween goes all the way back to a, a, an ancient Celtic fall festival called Samhain. It looks like Samhain, but in Gaelic it's pronounced Samhain. Um, they have weird pronunciations in those, in those Celtic languages. So, um, that's usually what they'll say. Well, Halloween started as Samhain, an ancient Celtic fall festival, and all of the things that we associate with Halloween, jack-o'-lanterns, trick-or-treating, dressing up, um, ghouls and goblins, all that goes back to Samhain. Well, there's a problem. Um, the problem is we don't know anything for sure about Samhain. <laughs> um, it, it, it is... It is We have nothing from the time in terms of their writings. And so we don't know what it looked like. But, so that says, okay, well then if that's the case, how did it get, how did it get associated? Well, let's, let's talk about what we know about Samhain. We do know that it was a harvest festival. We do know it was a fall festival marking those seasonal changes. The, the, um, the, the pre-Christian Celts were, um, very much attached to nature. And so most cultures of that sort are going to have their major festivals be um, fall, winter, spring, summer. Those are their major ones. And so we do know that it was their fall festival. 
we do know that it probably had your typical pagan religious rites. So there's going to be, um, you know, things to the gods. There's going to be spirituality. But what we don't know is what that looked like. We have no clues to what that looked like. And, the, and this is really important. There is zero evidence from, from, from anything that's, that's genuinely historical that there was a fixation on death as part of Samhain. It was just, it's just not, not part of any of the reliable literature. It's not there. What ends up happening, though, is that in the 19th century especially, there's this revival of folklore, but because there's a lot of gaps in the folklore, so people like the Grimm brothers, um, you know, researching the pre-Christian, trying to get to the pre-Christian roots of some of their cultures. And there's a lot of gaps. And so what do they do? They fill it up, they fill it up with, at the time, popular level occult and um, you know, occult spirituality, seance type things. Um, you know, that's the era when your um, spiritualists are coming in. Um, especially, this is especially true in the 19th century. And so some of this is an intentional subversion of the, at the time, Christian culture. Some of it is a wistful thinking, um, you know, because these are people that are saying, oh, well, um, we know that our ancestors were pagans. We know that our ancestors were spiritual but not Christian. And we know what that looks like now. So that must have been what it looks like back then, too. Um, but that's just not true. <laughs> that's, that's the problem. Here's a, here's a quote from um, a, uh, um, Ronald Hutton's book, The Stations of the Sun, A History of the Ritual Year in Britain. And this is page 370. So um, this is one of the, this is a very good scholarly work on uh, pre-Christian British paganism. So that Celtic paganism. It says, okay. He says, thus there seems to be no doubt that the opening of November was the time of a major pagan festival, which, is, which was celebrated at the very least in all those parts of the British Isles which had a pastoral economy. In other words, they were, they were agrarian, right? They were tied to the land. There is no evidence that it was connected with the dead and no proof that it opened the year. So that's one of the things that the pagans will, would say, well, this, was, this is our high holy day that began the year. No, there's no, no, no proof of that. Um, but it was certainly a time when supernatural forces were especially to be guarded against or propitiated because that's how paganism works. <laughs> you, 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 uh, you either guard against the, the, the supernatural forces or you try to appease the supernatural forces. That is the nature of pagan worship. Activities which took different forms in different regions. Um, so how that looked, it, it's different in different places. And then it says here, its importance was only reinforced by the imposition upon it of a Christian festival, which became primarily one of the dead. It was the church that brought in the emphasis on the dead. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, it, it's not something that, that it was happening in their own things. So the, the Christian, the emphasis on the dead originated with the Christian celebration of All Saints Day and All Souls Day. And we'll talk about those in a little bit. And Salem itself contributed minimally to Halloween, if at all. Anything we know about Halloween, like nothing comes from Samhain. <laughs> so um, so that's, that's myth one. 
And, and, and the issue is we just, we just have no evidence as to what they were actually doing, almost nothing. Um, you know, there, there's, there's some maybe stuff, but even that maybe stuff is, is very minimal. Like, you know, maybe they um, went door to door, maybe. But we all know that the, that, that was something more that the church was doing at the time. So, okay, so that's the first myth. Myth number two, that it's all about Christian triumphalism. This is the church uh, showing Satan, nan, nanny, boo, boo, we, uh, we have beat you, that kind of thing. That's myth number two. So, um, and we need to explain what's going on in the church's holiday, in the Middle Ages especially. So the word Halloween means All Hallows Eve. That's what it, it's, it's kind of an older form of English, that's what it means. What's All Hallows? All Saints Day, right. So it's the evening before All Saints Day, and if you've been around um, uh, liturgical Western Christianity for any amount of time, you know that we often do eves as part of the holiday, um, Christmas Eve, for example. And then All Souls Day, in the, by, by the Middle Ages traditional calendar for the West, always followed All Saints Day. So what's, what's that all about? Well, um, the issue, so, so in the medieval church, you had a three-day festival that they called Hallow Mass, Hallow's Mass. And that was All Saints, or that was um, All Hallow's Eve, so the Eve of All Saints. And All Saints Day, which celebrates those that are in heaven with Christ. So it's those that are saints. And then All Souls Day celebrates the faithful departed. And remember, by this time, purgatory was a big issue. So All Souls Day is a day to remember the dead who have not yet got to heaven. They are, they are the faithful departed. They died in the faith, but they're probably in purgatory. So um, that's, that's, that was All Souls Day in the medieval church. You'll notice that All Souls Day is not on our calendar. There's a reason for that. Uh, some Anglicans bring it in, but they are being very confusing with their theology when they do that. Um, it's it's not, a, not a smart thing. Um... So if All Hallows' Eve is October 31st, All Saints' Day is November 1, what's All Souls' Day? What happens November 2nd in this part part of the world? In in, in this part of the United States and and to the south? What are you saying, November 2nd? Yeah. It's Dia de de los Muertos. Dia de los Muertos. which, Which is a carryover from All Souls' Day attached with um, with, with some of the, the, the Mesoamerican uh, native customs. So, um, so that's, that's really where that comes from. Okay. So um, let's talk about the origins of All Saints Day. Oh, goodness, that's a little bit smaller in print than I wanted. I'm sorry. So All Saints Day is a relatively late addition to the calendar. It doesn't start popping up until the 5th century. By the 5th century, Easter and Christmas were already very well established. So All Saints Day is relatively late in the calendar. And it grows from local churches would naturally commemorate their local martyrs and confessors. That's really how the celebration of saints begins in the first place. You know, you're, you're a church in... Um, Gaul and your the, the people that founded the church in your area were martyred for the faith and you're going to celebrate the day that they died because their martyrdom is what helped the faith propagate there they brought the faith to to your your city your 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 area that kind of thing 
And so in different local, there were local celebrations of different martyrs and confessors. A martyr is someone that dies for the faith. A confessor is someone that, that keeps the faith in spite of great persecution, but is not necessarily martyred. Um, and eventually uh, this, this gets kind of standardized into, okay, everybody in the West is using this calendar, the East are using this calendar, that sort of thing. And All Saints Day began as a, as a way to celebrate people that didn't have their own feast days. It was the catch-all for everybody else. And if you've ever seen, oh gosh, the, uh, one of the missile calendars, or if you ever listen to EWTN or one of those other Catholic radios, every day is a saint's day, just about. Um, and to the point where every now and again they'll, they'll shuffle people around because some people, they want to remember that haven't been remembered, and, and it, it, gets, it gets really confusing. Um, so All Saints Day is basically the miscellaneous Saints Day. Originally, when it first pops up, it's in the spring. It's not in the fall, which is interesting. And it gets moved to November 1st in six, the year 609 when they dedicated a chapel in St. Peter's, in uh, part of the, this, the greater St. Peter's um, Basilica complex. They had a special little chapel that they dedicated on November 1st to Jesus, Mary, the apostles, martyrs, and confessors. And they decided that that would be when they start celebrating All Saints Day because that, um, you know, Jesus, Mary, the apostles, martyrs, and confessors, well, that's pretty much everybody, isn't it? <laughs> so, so where does All Saints Day begin to be done on November 1st? In Rome, not in England. It wasn't the Celts. It was the Romans. And um, it, it was originally called the Feast of All Martyrs and All Saints and of Our Lady um, and then it gets renamed in 835, the Feast of All Saints. So the important thing there in terms of dispelling some of those previous myths is this idea that it starts in Rome, not in, um, not in the Celtic world. Um, what else do we have here? Oh, and then it becomes a fixed holy day in, uh, just before the turn of the 11th century in 998. Becomes fixed at November 1st as in part of the greater calendar, not just this local celebration. Okay, so what, were they, what do they typically do in terms of all saints, all, all the hallow mass time in the Middle Ages? Well, they had bonfires. They like to light fires. That's something that um, people do when they have parties, they, especially when you have a lot of wood like they do in, uh, in England. And then they would do almsgiving and singing for food or money from door to door. So people would go door to door begging and then other people would give them stuff. Um, and they would usually do it with singing. What's this kind of sound like? Yeah, sound, well, it's, and, 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 it, and, and it should remind us even more than trick or treat. It should remind us of Christmas carols. Because it's more like Christmas carols in the Middle Ages than trick or treat is today. Um, and the eve before, they generally had a lot of rowdiness. They, they drank too much. They probably had some minor vandalism and pranking. And um, this is not uncommon in a kind, of, kind of folk Catholicism. Um, anybody ever heard of Mardi Gras? You know, what's, what's, Mar what's Mardi Gras? What's, Festa what, what's Carnival? It's the, it's the day before the feast or before Lent. It's the day before you go into that major holiday. And so, it, and, and they actually did the same kinds of things. Oh, well, we'll get to that. 
Um, and of course, there's a lot of liturgy, a lot of masses. You've got All Saints Day masses. You've probably got um, Hallow Ma or ha All Hallows Eve masses. You've got All, All Souls Day masses. You've got masses going everywhere because what are they doing in the Middle Ages during the mass? They're typically praying for their, their, the souls of, of their departed loved ones. That's a big part of the mass in the Middle Ages that in the Reformation gets, gets turned around. But here's the important thing. This is exactly what we see in the Middle Ages at Christmas time. And Christmas time was doing it before Halloween was. And so you have wassailing uh, where they're uh, um, you know, singing and drinking. You've got the, the craziness going on for Martin Miss and Twelfth Night later on in the Christmas, in the Christmas uh, time. And so um, uh, St. Saint, Saint Martin's, when's St. When's Martin's? It's, it's, during, it's during the 12 days. I think it's, it might be the 12th day. I don't, I don't recall. We, it's not on our calendar. But um, you see these kinds of things going on over there. And we never see this idea that we have taken over a pagan practice and so now we're mocking the devil. That never pops up. Because the... Any of the pagan customs were, were long gone by this time. The church in, in did a really, really good job of completely eradicating British paganism. It was gone by this time. And what years was this? Uh, this, is, this is generally in the Middle Ages. So, so this is, this is um, you know, All, All Saints Day becomes a fixed holiday um, just at 998. So we're basically talking anywhere the 11th century up until up until the um the time of the reformation really and, and and a lot of these things continue to go on in in catholic lands after the reformation and and, and we see we and again we see some of that um in the in the dia de los muertos celebrations in mexico it's you know it's it's the, it's those kinds of things um only you know within their cultural context rather than in kind of a, a British cult, cultural context. Okay, um, so, so the question is, where, where, do these, where do these things come from? If the, if the myth of, the, of it being lingering or a revival of Samhain comes from 19th century romantic occultism, where does this come from? Well, I think it comes from a, the church's reaction against that other myth. So, so, so... When the church does start doing some mocking of the devil, it's not until very late because people were saying that this was the devil's holiday. You, you, you see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And so, um, so that's where that, that second myth comes. Okay, um, let's pause there. Um, we don't have a whole lot of time. We can get to the next section. Or um, if, you, if you all have any, 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 any questions for the two, the two myths to be dispelled at this point. Okay, so pretty straightforward, pretty straightforward. Okay, so what starts to change? Well, we, we start to see some changes after the Reformation. So first of all, we have Reformation Day, which, which is never particularly big in England. And what happens is that Martin Luther originally writes the 95 Thesis on October 31st when he nails them to the Wittenberg door. And there's some question as to whether he nailed it at all, or whether it was kind of a bulletin board, or how that worked historically. But all this happens on October 31st. Um, after all, everybody's gathering for the feast, so it's a good time to have a nice um, uh, 
discussion, debate, that kind of thing. And that's what Martin Luther was doing. He was basically saying, okay, here's the stuff we're going to be debating, so come prepare to engage in this discussion. It's a typical university land, university town. So that's what's happening. Um, the big thing that's going on in the 95 Thesis is they're critiquing a lot of these beliefs in purgatory that lead to the abuses of indulgences. So that whole, all the things that Martin Luther was initially angry about were the way that, the, that, that some of these, the mythology, and well, it's all mythology with purgatory, but some of the really bad superstitions about purgatory lead to this abuses and indulgences. In Lutheran lands, so we're talking Scandinavian, Western Germany, um, Reformation Day completely uh, replaces Hallamass. And if any of... Terry, did y'all do, when you were growing up in, in the Lutheran church, did y'all do Reformation Day? Um, you don't remember? <laughs> okay. So in Lutheran lands, this replaces things. But this wasn't really generally observed in England. But you will hear about this in the church from time to time. Um, you know, the, come, come Halloween, you're going to find a lot of, if you're on social media, even a lot of Anglican churches will be like, Happy Reformation Day. And then some of the more Anglo Catholics will be like, Happy Tragic Necessity Day. Uh, <laughs> things like that. Or, or not so happy. Uh, but it was, not, it was not generally observed in England. Well, um, we do see something beginning to replace Hallamus in the time of the Reformation, specifically during the reign of Elizabeth. She abolishes All Souls Day because of the theological baggage associated with it, the, the issues of purgatory. Um, you know, the, the, the 39 Articles of Religion explicitly repudiate purgatory. Um, I know some Anglicans don't like that fact, but it's, but it, it's there. So that was, that was part of her heritage. Um, she ascends to the throne on 17th of November. And so celebrations commemorating this really one of the greatest of England's monarchs takes the place of a lot of the Hallamas celebrations that used to happen. So in England, um, her, her celebrating Elizabeth, and this even happens after Elizabeth, this continues on um, pretty much through her reign um, up until something replaces it in England, Guy Fawkes Day. Y'all know Guy Fawkes Day? A little bit? Okay. So what happened was there was a, this, is, this commemorates the foiled gunpowder plot against James I, so that's Elizabeth's successor in Parliament. Some radi a radical group of, um, of, of Catholics um, who wanted to get, who wanted to destroy this Protestant king and, and Parliament were going to blow it up, and they had put all this gunpowder under Parliament. Um, but it gets foiled. This conspiracy gets foiled. And the main ringleader, Guy Fox, gets executed. And so this becomes a big national day for England when we, uh, you know, this was the day that we foiled that plot to, to, to destroy our nation kind of thing. And so, so um, it happened on the 5th of November. And so you have that rhyme um, in, in, in England, remember, remember the 5th of November, and there's a lot more to it, but that's the part that I always remember, because it told me to. <laughs> and so, yeah, exactly. And so um, this ends up reviving some of that rowdiness from Hallow Mass, and it is a rowdy time. Guy Fawkes celebrations are crazy, and that completely takes the place. There is no Halloween in England anymore. 
There is no Hallamus in England by, you know, for, really from the time of the Reformation on, because first Eliz- celebrating Elizabeth's ascension and then uh, to the throne, and then the Guy Fawkes Day um, replaces it. So what happens on Guy Fawkes Day? Well, we have bonfires, but now it's not looking at, you know, spirits or anything like that. It's, it's uh, remembering, though, those traitors are burning in hell. <laughs> Yay, that's very charitable, isn't it? <laughs> um, yeah, general rowdiness, it's, it's, it's crazy. Um, they do masquerades. People dress up like Guy Fawkes and other things. Um, and it becomes really a holiday of anti-Catholicism and English patriotism. Um, and it becomes really big. These days, it's more about the English patriotism than, than the anti-Catholic thing. But um, really, even, even in the early 20th century, there was a strong anti-Catholic sentiment in, uh, in England. And, and largely because of stuff like this. Uh, you know, there, there was that, th- those kinds of views. And this does spread throughout the English-speaking world, less to America than some of the other former col- colonies. But um, you do have rowdiness at this period of time because of this. We're going to put a, we're going to put a, put a stop there. Then we're going to talk about how it gets from these historical things to what we see today next week. And if anybody has any, any, any comments or questions, we've got like a minute and a half. We have one, we have time for one question. Okay, Pam. Burn the effigies, yeah. It was like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, and that, and that continues. To, I mean, I guarantee you, I guarantee you, they're, you know, next month they're going to be burning effigies of Donald Trump because they, they can't stand him over there. Yeah, yeah. They, and, you know, and so they're going to be, you know, and they're probably going to have, they're probably going to be burning effigies of, of, of other people they don't, you know, other political, depending on your political things over there. I don't really know my English politics beyond that I know that they really, really don't like Donald Trump. So... All right, well, let's, uh, let's go ahead and close there, and I will see you all in Mass, because tonight we celebrate the Feast of St. Luke the Evangelist. That's good news. That is good news. <laughs> well, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time, and uh, we ask that you would... Uh, Uh, Give us wisdom as we look at uh, some of the things going on in culture. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. How is that for a totally generic uh, content prayer? My goodness. All right, well, we are are working. um, um, We're going to do week number two of our Christianity and Halloween mini-series. So uh, let's... It's... Yeah, it's, we're, we're having some, uh, some flickering here. Maybe that's, that's uh, the spookiness. No, I'm just kidding. Um, maybe, maybe it's Father Barry's uh, mojo from chapel, uh, from his slides. Okay, I'm going to do our content credit one more time. Um, so, yeah, every, everything that we said last week and this week is uh, heavily based on uh, the essays, what, Christian sh- what Should Christians Think About Halloween and Halloween, Its Creation and Recreation by Stephen Wedgworth. And he is the associate, associate pastor of Faith Prez in Vancouver. And he writes about theology, history, and political theory. Um, he's the founder and general editor of the Calvinist International and one of the directors of the Davenant Institute 
who I love, like we said last week, the Davenant Institute, they're great people. Okay, so there's our, there's our credits page. Last week, we talked about the two myths, the first myth being um, kind of a revival of, of, uh, of old paganism, um, and the main issue there is we don't know anything about that old paganism, so you can't revive something you don't know anything about. Um, so that's, that's the one issue. The number two is that myth of it being Christian triumphalism, uh, this idea that um, the church brought all this in to make fun of the devil and all that sort of thing. And we just don't really see any evidence of that until relatively recently, um, which seems to be more of a reaction against the um, more fundamentalist claims that it's a satanic holiday than it is um, based on actual history. So let's talk about then, um, we talked about some uh, changes that happened to All Saints Day and that whole Hallow Mass thing, um, Reformation Day in the German areas, Guy Fawkes Day in, in the uh, English areas, um, and how that ended up having some influence on some things. And so now we get to what's going on in the turn of the 20th century, and we call this invented traditions. How can you invent a tradition? Well, these are invented traditions. We'll see that happened a lot during this time. Okay, so uh, let's talk about what's going on from the 1700s uh, through the early 1900s. We have a lot of immigrants coming, especially to the United States, from Ireland and Scotland and those areas. There's this um, general, all, all across cultures, there's this romantic, romantic, can't even say that. Rom, yes, I was trying to turn that into more of a verb, but yes. Um, the, the motherland, yes, exactly. I was trying to say romanticization or something. Um, but, but the idea of the old world is getting romanticized. These immigrants are longing for what came before, and some of them don't really know what came before because it's their second generations now, third generations. But they're, they're growing up on these stories, and, oh, don't you remember how it was back over there? You know, that kind of thing. The good old days. And how often do we do that? We look, we look back with, with rose-colored glasses on the good old days. And, so, and that's happening all across Western culture. There's this general looking back to days of yore. Um, you know, what are some of the things that are happening that help to cause that? You have the Industrial Revolution. Um, so you're, you're disappearing of agricultural life, increased urbanization, um, immigra immigration all over the place. And so everybody's looking back for the good old days. So the Victorians, so we're talking in the, in the mid-1800s here, um, they invent most of what we consider to be traditional Celtic things. These were not really traditional, but they're invented a whole stock um, by elaborating on what actually is traditional. So this idea of your clan tartans, that didn't exist before the Victorian age. Yes, they had tartans, but this idea of attaching it to your traditional clans, totally made up. Um, bagpipes being universal as part of Celtic culture. Uh, it was there, but not like, you know, it doesn't become this symbol of, of Scottish and Irish identity. Um, Highlands, Highland style, that whole, uh, that, that everything that is this, what we think of as traditional Scottish culture, it really wasn't. I mean, there, there was some of that in, in a particular region, but it gets basically adapted as this is what is Scottish. This is what is Irish, that sort of thing. 
And so this gets applied to, whole, to, ha- to um, holidays as well. And one of the, uh, there's, a, there's a, um, a poem by Robert Burns called Halloween. And this, uh, and you, can, you can look this up, Robert Burns' poem, Halloween. And it kind of um, gives a typical rendering of what this begins to look like. So you have some folk customs but, but he's really adapting it to these current trads and calling it traditional. And we do that same sort of thing today. I mean, look at, look at kind of the way, um, you know, the, 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 the hipster stereotypical love of things vintage. Well, they don't really love vintage. They love a particular way of looking at things that are vintage, if that makes sense. You know, it's, it's, it's this nostalgic approach that's not really the reality, but it kind of has hints at it, that sort of thing. Does, does that make sense? Um, you know, there was, there was a, a, a funny, not that I recommend this, but uh, Port, Portlandia, y'all ever, y'all ever seen that TV show? So the first season, they're like the dream of the 90s is, is alive in Portland, right? The 1990s, and this is, this is the first season. A couple seasons later, it's the dream of the 1890s, right? Because, you know, hipster culture is, is, is looking back fondly on these things. It's really funny. And that's, that's kind of the way things were going um, in, the, in the Victorian period for the, the, really the pre-Enlightenment um, era. And the same thing is happening to Christmas at this time, too. Everything that we think of as being traditional Christmas is Victorian. It's, it's, it's only a couple hundred years old. <laughs> but we think of it as being, this is the way everything has always been done. But it's really all Victorian. Um, okay. So, um, what ends up happening is you have all these local celebrations of Celtic culture popping up. And it, but it's adapted for urban northeast United States. Why? Because that's where a lot of the Irish are going. So what you're having during, during the, the Hallamas time, uh, what would have been Halloween time, is they're, they're having these, um, these, these kind of pan-Celtic cultural celebrations. So people will do guising, so simple costumes, sometimes campily spooky costumes, you know, that kind of thing. Um, mumming, well they'll, well, they'll have mask plays and singing. Um, and and you, you see videos of it today, it looks kind of old, old and weird and creepy, but I mean, that's just kind of the way things are. <laughs> um, souling, so they're making soul cakes and begging, beg, begging for soul cakes. Um, think, of, think of like the, um, the, the, the skull pastries for Dia de los Muertos, that kind of thing. It's kind of more of an Irish adaptation for that or a Scottish adaptation of that, or really an American Irish or an American Scottish. You know, and, and you think of like... Um, a good, a good example of that here locally, Cinco de Mayo. We think of that as this huge Mexican thing, right? They don't celebrate Cinco de Mayo in Mexico. It is not a thing in Mexico. It's a thing in Mexican-American culture. And so that's what's happening with Halloween at this time. Okay, um, a lot of apple games, bobbing for apples, that sort of thing, just very, various things. Um, and then you have jack-o'-lanterns popping up. Back in the old world, they were turnips. They didn't have pumpkins in the old world. Now they do, so... Pumpkins become the thing. So this is where you have the, the roots of what we look at as kind of being your Halloween um, tradition start to come in. And then, of course, bonfires, roasting of nuts, and that sort of thing. And, and so you do have this kind of campy, this harmless uh, witches and ghosts and that sort of thing. Think of like um, Charlie Brown Halloween special type stuff. You know, that kind of thing is, is having its beginnings during this period of time. 
So, so that's, that's what's going on pretty much in the, in the, in the post-colonial period here in America. This is not happening in, in, in most of the rest of the world. This is very much an American thing. Well, how does it get from that to what we see today? Well, at the turn of the 20th century, you start to see uh, certain things happening that lead to this. First of all, you have the growing literary, literary genre of horror. Um, Edgar Allan Poe, Bram Stoker, Mary Shelley, um, Washington Irving. And this is, this is, this is a, a growing, you know, kind of adapting ghost, ghost stories, but for kind of semi-serious literature, that sort of thing. And so that's growing, and people start applying that to Halloween. You know, you're doing your ghost stories, and what better way to do that than to read Poe or, or Stoker or that sort of thing. And then you have this, this carryover rowdiness, just like we saw with Guy Fawkes Day, just like in the Middle Ages with Hallamass. And um, this is happening especially among the youth, and it's absolutely rampant. It had been. This is just kind of one of the things that, you know, celebrations lead to rowdiness. You know, that's kind of what the way things tend to go in, in, in the wider, wider world. But people aren't liking this rowdiness. So they want to domesticate it. They want to give an alternative to rowdiness. So what happens? Well, we have trick-or-treat. Moms and schools and, and, and local uh, uh, civic organizations start having, well, let's give the kids something to do to keep them out of trouble. And so that's where trick-or-treating comes from. Um, now, you know, they're, they're saying, well, this, this, this has its roots in your, in your souling and your guising and that sort of thing. But it really comes to a head now because we're trying to get the rowdiness out of things. Did you ever see the old Judy Garland movie, Meet Me in St. Louis? Remember, there's that scene where they're breaking down the gates and they're making bonfires. On, you know, that was the kind of thing they're trying to curb. If you've, if you ever seen, if you've never seen that movie, it's a great musical, classic Judy Garland. Um, my, my dad was a big Judy Garland fan, so we saw almost all of those growing up. Um, you start having organized parties happening for Halloween. Why? We got to keep the kids off the street. How many churches nowadays do a harvest festival or a trunk or treat? Why? Because they're trying to keep the kids off the street. <laughs> you know, same thing going on in the early 20th century. And it becomes very child-focused. Um, so that's, that's why um, you see things like the, uh, you know, Charlie Brown Halloween special kind of Halloween. You know, that becomes, by the middle of the 20th century, that's kind of the norm. And it takes a long time for this shift from rowdiness to it being child-focused happening. But certainly by post-war America, the child-focused, um, you know, there's not a lot of tricks going on. It's all treat, you know, that kind of thing. That, that becomes the norm. Halloween as we know it is pretty much born at this time. What we think of as traditional Halloween gets established by this time, really by post-war, because of trying to curb all the rowdiness and that sort of thing. Well, of course, Hollywood is going to start adding gore in the late 20th century, right? We have our horror movies, 1980s and 70s slasher films, that sort of thing. Um, you know, that, that, that sort of thing. Um, and you start to see in the late 20th century increasing popularity among adults. Um, when I was a kid, adults never did anything for Halloween. Nowadays, they do. You know, even teenagers wouldn't do anything for Halloween when I was a kid. 
Um, I, I remember very specifically where we're talking 1990, um, seventh grade, nobody dressed up in seventh grade. You know, there's a really funny scene. Like, I keep going back to, to pop culture. I watch too much TV, probably. Um, uh, oh, what, what is it? Um, Stranger, Stranger Things. Y'all, 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 y'all seen Stranger Things? Love that show. Oh my gosh, it's so fun. So wonderfully 80s nostalgia. Nostalgia again, there we go. Um, and there's, in the beginning of the second season, the, the boys dress up as the Ghostbusters for Halloween and they're the only ones in school that did that. I was like, oh my gosh, I had that experience. I know exactly what, how that was. <laughs> About that same age, it's awesome. Um, so, but, so you do start to see an increasing popularity among adults in the late 20th century, 1990s, late 90s. And you see a, a corresponding increasing sexuality going on with Halloween. Who's seen the movie Mean Girls with Lindsay Lohan? And, and, and remember, she dresses up like a, like, a, like a kind of a real spooky bride. And all of her friends are like, why aren't you dressing all sexy? This is the one night we can dress like a mm-hmm. And nobody says anything. You know, that, that sort of thing. That, that's, that's, that's sort of what begins to, to rise, especially kind of in the late 90s. Um, and you also see this increasing commercial emphasis. When I was a kid, we didn't start Halloween in September. You know, Walmart's been having Halloween for a month and a half now. <laughs> And, and it is, you know, we, we, would, we would buy one big bag of candy. That would last us all night. Uh, last year or the year before, it was, you went through four in about an hour. It was crazy just the way the commercial thing is. And, and so you, you do see, though, that that level of horror or overt um, increased sexuality varies based on your audience and your locale. I mean, you don't, you know, in the neighborhood, the kids trick-or-treating aren't doing that, but... You know, your high schoolers getting together or your college kids, they, that probably is the case, you know, that sort of thing. Um, so, and then you have, you know, adults having their drunken parties just like at Christmas time. And, I mean, and you do. You see the same type of thing going on at Christmas these days. Okay. Um, and then there's this question, well, what about the neo-pagans and witchcraft? Let's, let's address that very briefly because I don't, I don't want to spend too much time on that. Um, we do have... Uh, there has been a revival really in the last 20, 20 years or so of, of what, what's come to be called neo-paganism, you know, pro- paganism proper. The thing about it is um, that, re- that revival is something that's kind of semi-invented. It, it's, it's not really based on, you know, they're saying, okay, we, we've revived the old Celtic Samhain and Beltane and all those other things. Except for they haven't. You know, they, they, they invented them in the mid-20th century when it was a minority. And, uh, but but there, has been a, there has been a rise in that. That, that has been something you do see. So um, there are going to be these days um, self-proclaimed witches and pagans who do consider Halloween their holy day. I mean, that's, that's, that's not uncommon. And, and you, you may have seen on, on the news, um, you know, there's... All these, uh, you know, young women in their twenties claiming to be witches who are putting hexes on Brett Kavanaugh and stuff like that, and um, you know, it's uh, so. So that is something that 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 does happen, um, but that's not what mostly is going on for Halloween, even today. Mostly, it's people partying or kids getting candy and dressing up like Paw Patrol and princesses. 
you know, that kind of thing. That's really what mostly is. But, but that, is, that is a thing. I mean, that neo-paganism and, and kind of revival of witchcraft is a thing. I, even, even when I was um, first in high school here in Texas uh, in the Judson District, I, I, I knew half a dozen girls that, that claimed to be witches. Um, you know, and, and they, were, they were practicing. You know, I, I, uh, a buddy of mine, when I was in college, he was, he was dating a, a girl who was, who, she was hardcore, um, had been a witch forever, and, you know, she told me all about her spell book, you know, that kind of thing, you know, and it's, and it's, you know, it's, it's, it's weird folk magic stuff, but it's nothing that Christians need to be afraid of because the Holy Spirit's a lot stronger than anything going on in, in, in that realm. You know, we have the Holy Spirit in us. We don't need to be afraid of people that are enthralled by the devil. Okay, some considerations for Christians. Let's think about this. Well, first of all, um, don't, we don't need to be frightened or superstitious. This is not the devil's high holy day, and if we do stuff, we're going to end up inviting demons into our life. That's not the way that goes. Um, you know, obviously, Christians don't participate in occultic practices and things like that. Um, but, but, I mean, just, oh, goodness, you know, yeah, I don't, I don't know if, if uh, um, you know, Brett Kavanaugh's a Christian or not, but if he is... You know, he doesn't need to be afraid of a bunch of college girls hexing him. You know, that kind of thing. You know, the Holy Spirit is a lot stronger than that. No need to be superstitious either. You know, we, we, we as Christians are not superstitious people. That's not what it's about. And sometimes we do get superstitious. You know, we, we, there, there is a strain of Christian superstition, which we, we, we just don't need to, need to have a part of that. Um, I, I'm sure you can picture what some of that might look like. Um, you know, I don't know if any of y'all saw the, grew up or, or years ago or even relatively recently, those little comic book tracts by Jack Chick. Um, uh, yeah, and, and oh my goodness, uh, yeah, Jack Chick and Halloween, you know, that kind of thing, just spreading. I, I remember as a kid my first time seeing that, and, and it just, you know, it was terrifying, but, you know, it's because I was a kid. And it's just stupid. I mean, he, he's, he's wrong about all that stuff, and he's just spreading fears. Um, okay. There, the general tenor of Halloween is going to be a secular thing. It is a worldly thing. And because of that, it can naturally attract some sins. Like the, just like the, Christmas, the office Christmas party, you know, the office Halloween party can do that. I mean, so, so we need to be careful. But that's the way it is with anything. You know, we need to definitely avoid immodesty or trivializing pain and suffering with gore, that sort of thing. But um, at the same time, when we're thinking about what the Bible condemns as darkness, this is issues of sin, not the color black or night or, or even um, remembering our mortality. You know, that's an important part of, 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 of being a well-balanced Christian, you know, that sort of thing. So... Um, Consider what's going on in your in your local or your part, particular situation. I mean, I heard a, I heard a, a pastor, a fellow fellow Anglican priest in Cana. He, he said, you know, if I was if I was in a community that was surrounded by the fundamentalists who were uh, uh, legalistically saying if you celebrate Halloween, then you're probably in league with the devil. I would celebrate it loudly, you know, that kind of thing. Um, you know, and and you see, and you know, his point was, you see Jesus challenging the Pharisees with that sort of that kind of nonsense. Um, you know, there's you, you don't you don't give in to to the legalist that sort of thing. Um, but at the same time, you know, if you're uh, 
<laughs> if all your neighbors are witches, you might think about that. You know, um, you, you, you might, uh, you know, you, 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 maybe, maybe you ought to focus on something other than Halloween during the season. Um, an important thing, and this is probably the most important thing to take away, is we only bind the conscience in areas where Scripture has bound the conscience. Sin is defined by Scripture, not by Christian culture. And that's really the problem with kind of your stereotypical fundamentalist Protestant approach, is that they are legalistically redefining sin. And the problem with that, and here's where we get theological in our thing today, the, what legalism always has to redefine sin so that the legalist can, can actually be, by their own count, sinless. You, know, you, you minimize some sins and you invent new ones so that what, so that what you're good at you're, you know, it makes you a saint and everybody else who's not good at that is a sinner, you know, that kind of thing. That is not the way Christianity is supposed to work. A lot of Christians work that way. Religious people work that way. It doesn't matter what religion. That's, that's the default nature of the human heart is to be legalistic. So we don't bind the conscience with anything that Scripture does not bind it. Uh, but something we, we probably ought, ought to consider is is celebrations for All Saints um, and for Reformation Day. Um, you know, our particular culture at all, at all Saints, at our parish, Reformation Day would not fly at this point. We've, we've got too much uh, Anglo-Catholic history there. <laughs> um, matter of fact, I think a couple years ago, I specifically wore my, my, uh, my Martin Luther ring just to, uh, to kind of show him um, on, on for when we had Halloween on a, on a Friday night. Um, but, but yeah, you know, and I, and I thought about this year because, um, Halloween being on, on a Wednesday, I, I considered kind of having a big All Saints Day celebration, but the way that, the way that it worked for me as I was thinking about this as the pastor was I would rather not kind of set up this, um, island outside of what's going on in our local neighborhood. You know, I would rather be part of, of meeting the neighbors, doing, this is the one time a year when neighbors actually go out and talk to each other. Um, you know, I, the, first, the first two weeks I was in my new place, I saw all my neighbors all the time. I haven't seen a single one of them in months. Like, they're not out or when I'm out or vice versa. You know, and, and, and yeah, I mean, we... we so, so how, Halloween, and that's, a, you know, we, we decided as a family, okay, Leia's, where Leia's having her preschool, they're having kind of a little harvest festival, so we'll go there for an hour or so. Um, but, weather permitting, then we're going to go do the neighborhood thing, even if it's just on our street, because I want to see the neighbors. You know, I want to talk to the neighbors. I want to be part of our little community. That, so that's what we decided as a family. But that's something every family... Um, every individual really needs to decide on their own. Okay, we got like three minutes, and that's the end of what we had to say. So uh, three to five, we, we, can, we, can go, we can go a little, little if we need to. Um, Tracy. Interesting. You know, that was a rally 
Yeah, I bet you that's a holdover for, from the domestication of, of the 31st. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then very ethnically Yeah, the Polish Catholics and yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So depending on where you went, the languages were different. Right. Was so you had your shift night, and that was night you went. And so you, you know, you, you try to be a good neighbor because if you did so, I mean, you, we did as kids picked out the house that so you're going to mess with. Yeah. And it was always in response to something that happened from here. Don't ever do this. Uh, they're, they're too old to be influenced by this now. Right, right. Something, something I thought about, and you know, and I, I just didn't really plan this through and talk this through this year. But I had thought about maybe having an early All Saints Eve mass, and then saying, "Okay, you know, parents, bring your kids. Nothing, <laughs> nothing, nothing violent in their costumes, and then we go trick or treating here in the local neighborhood. You know, that kind of thing." Kind of seasonal days, right? Yeah, and the thing was that we're very much according to um, the spring. I can't remember. I get them all mixed up. Right. Yeah, the ink one. Yeah. It's lamb's milk. And that's spring. And then um, winter is the jandal. Right. And again, we kind of go by their whole thing. Do you know the old, old, not the holiday, this, whatever stuff that's going on? It was, again, not a recognition of the dead, but it kind of going through um, just that whole cycle. You definitely, yeah, and you definitely see um, there being a connection to to those agricultural um, patterns that um, you know gets gets just adapted culturally. You know, the church gets involved, um, and it's just it's a natural thing in those agricultural situations. How much of some of the specifics comes from what is 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 where the question be, be, begins? You know. Right. Whatever. It's going to come from that whole Anglo-Saxon 
Right. Caltech is what we get here in the U.S. But you know, we're talking about some of the things where you have, um, you know, like the Noah, you know, story and cultures all over the place. You right. Know, eight, you know, same people, whatever. They're gonna have different names on there, but it all you know, there's so many similarities globally on those stories. Or there's so many. Um, but again, they kind of just wonder. I guess like, like in Japan, one of the things they said that's the country that turned their back on God because their language speaks of a singular God and all this, and they kind of don't use it. So when they or they don't recognize it. But if you look at the images of their characters or whatnot, they're very religious to the point. If you look at the animal, you know, I mean, they're very holy, whatever. But it's stuff that just kind of came through. And went, you know, you kind of wonder how much stuff just gets lost because you don't have that. The Bible where it didn't get passed down so systematically. There, there's a lot of that. that yeah, that's huge. Some of the stuff to just automatically say there's nothing from this Catholic. Well, and what we're saying is we don't have any. Yeah, so it's so we're, it's not it's not that there's nothing there from it. It's that we don't have any hard evidence as to what there is or what there isn't. And so when people say, right, yeah. Probably, I mean, yeah. There, there's, and 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 that's and that's that's just that's just that's just really the question, you know. And, and that's and that's kind of the, the mythology. Okay, th- this is this is paganism revived. Okay, show your work. Oh, there is no work, you know. <laughs> um, now, can you say there's probably some there's probably some um, strains, but how do you trace those? You can't, you know. And so, so you know, the idea that. That they would celebrate seasonally, absolutely. I'm sure that happened. You know, all cultures do. Um, the idea that there was some some spiritual aspect, yup, that's the way paganism works. You know, the idea that Christianity, um, as it came in, baptized some of that and adapted it for the church, yup, that's what that's what Christianity always did. Um, the idea that trick or treat comes from the Celts. Okay, now we're beginning to get a little afield. You know, that sort of thing. But but there was probably something. There, there's, there's probably some sort of door-to-door thing, but what does that look like? We don't know. I mean, and even, even that probably is a very thin probably. So, you know, that, that's, that's, that's kind of, and that's kind of, kind of where it is. It's, and, and, and the main point is, is that we don't, you know, we, and, and we, we have had a history at All Saints um, before my time of, some of that fundamentalist style fear of Halloween. And, 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 and so some of this is, is battling that. Um, my first year as the rector here, I just kind of ignored it and we all just, just kind of um, didn't talk about it. And so this year I'm like, we're gonna talk about it. <laughs> all right, um, anything else? We should probably uh, get, get, to, uh, get to Compline. If, okay, maybe maybe one, one more quick something. Okay, let's go to Compline. <laughs> the Lord be with you. Father, we do ask that you would, uh, you, you would bless our worship as we, uh, we go to Compline, and we would end the day with you as our focus. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.